Oh. Yes. I was waiting for you to be like, no! No! Ready to hear from your word now. Okay. That's good. Thank you for being the one person who hears ready today. Um, ooh, look at that. Thank you very much. Um, Scott, you left me with a cluttered, cluttered thing here. Where is Scott? It's cool. He left. He doesn't like my teaching. Guess what, Scott? What? I think of your notes. Not you ever needed these again. Uh, there you go. Everyone's really upset about that. I can't believe he tore his trivia questions. I got your pen, too. That's sweet. Anybody want this? See the chalice? Um, well, everybody, welcome. Uh, we're, glad, uh, we're glad to be here tonight. Um, by the way, way to go to you folks that hiked and did all the rafting stuff today. No matter what kind of hike you went on, way to go. Give yourselves a hand right now. That's exciting. That's uh, that's fun stuff. That's fun stuff. Oh, thank you. I get, okay, there we go. I get, that's just a transfer of, oh, I don't want Scott stands. That's not good enough. Get it out of here. Uh, thank you. Uh, we don't give you this one. We only give Scott this Thank one. you. That's, that's, that's Scott's <laughs> special stand. Uh, that's sweet. Thank you, Paul, for that. Um, well, hey, guys, um, here we are. Uh, we're, man, we're halfway through. We are halfway through um, our talks for the week, which is pretty crazy. And, of course, we know we've been looking at this, this series of Obey Your Faith. Uh, and, and today we did some hiking. A lot of hiking was done today. So I thought it would be fitting to start off with a hiking, a hiking illustration, a hiking story, sort of. Um, who, who took with them today special certain things that they knew they would need to get them through the hike? Who took tools along with you? What are some of those things you brought along with you that you would help you with your hike? Water. water. Anything besides water? Stomach medicine, that's, that's helpful for any time. Yeah, right over here. Protein bar, that's helpful, gives you energy right here. Toilet paper, that makes anybody survive, I like that. Yeah, right up here. Jesus. Jesus, always the right answer. He's with you, it's good, let's pray. Uh, that's good. Uh, other people, I saw another hand over here. Food, you need food to keep going, right? Anybody have like special like hiking shoes they brought? Like to get, yeah. The, that's good. Socks and, and shoes are important. Going barefoot, hiking, not a good idea back there. Small sword. Small sword. In case you're attacked by a small woodland creature and you stab it, you can get out of the... Yeah, those chipmunks are vicious. You never know. What's going on? Okay, that's good right here, Solomon. You're just chilling. You're just kind of doing this. Kind of looking at your fingernails. Seeing how shiny they are. I like that. So, okay, when we go on hikes, we bring tools. Why do you bring tools on hikes? People die. That's okay. True. Um, in order, in order to achieve success in this hike, uh, it's good we have tools that help equip us to do those things. Uh, this is a place that I've been to. You, uh, I, maybe I don't know what I'm doing here. Is this is this working? There's reasons. It's on. It's on. Make sure that's always a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> Making sure it's on. I think that's it. Maybe not. Is there a power button? Oh, bingo. Wait, now I... Bam, bam. I like saying bam's going to do anything. Um, um, anyway, I'm just going to I'm just gonna go. Here we go. David Poteet, everybody. He is our electronic... Oh, the switch on the side that says on and off. Here I am, everyone. Uh, so so to, to divert away from that embarrassing moment, here's a really cool mountain. Um, who knows what this is? Anybody tell me what this is? Yeah, right back here, Chris. El Capitan. El Capitan, thank you. This is a beautiful, amazing uh, block of solid granite. What park is it in? No, Chris can't answer. What park is it in right here? Yellowstone. Not Yellowstone. Yosemite, thank you, the two major parts. It's not one, it's the other. Okay, so El Capitan, this is a massive, massive, uh, it's called a monolith, I believe, actually, not actually a mountain. It's a massive granite slab, essentially, and it's huge. And you can tell how big it is. You're like, okay, it looks kind of big. This is the tree line. <laughs> um, look at that. You see, you see the trees? That, oh, boom! You know, it's huge. Um, um, and so there it is. Uh, and, and so uh, about a, two years ago, I'd say, Caroline and I got to visit. There's Caroline. Hey, my wife. Hi, Caroline. Um, we got to visit. Uh, we had to visit. Um, Yosemite and got to walk around. You have Half Dome, which is like the, the you know the logo for North Face. That's there. The Yosemite Falls, which are huge, and, and then this massive thing is here. And uh, we, we're we're kind of going along. And when you look at this thing, you don't look at that. That's a mountain you can climb. That's a mountain you can kind of go up. 
But we're sitting here, and we're like, you know, like little specks down here in the good grass. And we're looking up, and, and I remember just thinking, I feel like I see somebody. Like, you couldn't really tell, because it's so huge. I, and then sure enough, we saw this guy, like, hanging from this huge rope, like, right in the middle of that. They call that the nose, that little kind of center part right there. And there he is trying to climb, but all he was doing is kind of going back and forth. I don't know what happened to him. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, um, but if you see this picture, people climb this thing, okay? This is sheer vertical face, if not even at some points like this. And I mean like you're climbing this way, right? Um, and and it's, it's unbelievable. I did a bunch of studying after I saw that of how can people how can people actually climb this thing? And, and, and really what it comes down to is for almost everybody except the thing for one, people, uh, the people that have climbed El Capitan, you had to have all kinds of tools. I had some other pictures I wanted to show. Um, you can see this guy's all roped up. People like bring up like tents that you like hang on and you like, like sleep up there like on the face. And you have to have, to climb a mountain like this or any mountain for that matter, you have to have a lot of really important tools for this. You've got to have things, you have, you have to literally drill, to drill into the mountainside to put it fasten on so you can actually have a rope to climb up. Um, and so you need tools in order to climb up these things. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we're talking about tools. Um, we're talking about what I'm going to call the tools of obedience. Uh, we've looked at, we created a basis of, of the foundation of obedience uh, in, in Jesus Christ. We looked at the source of obedience, the grace that God freely gives to us uh, um, through Jesus Christ. Last night, uh, last night, um, as you remember, uh, we talked about um, what it means to engage engage in obedience in a, in, a, in a real way. Start off with for what it means to, you remember that, that illustration that we looked at? Um, we, we talked about what it means to actually start that race of obedience. And, and now we're going to look at how do we actually go about how do we actually go about obedience? If last night we looked at the, the enemies of obedience and, and starting that fight against these, oh, these enemies of works righteousness and cheap grace, uh, how now do we actually, as we start to think and talk about obedience, uh, how, do we, how do, we, do we, do we have any tools? Do we have any tools for this journey? Do we have any things we can actually use as we, as we go along these things? And for, for many of you right now, you're like, all right, Tony, we're halfway through this thing, and you still haven't given me my list. Uh, many of you are starting to grow a little bit uncomfortable with me and say, when do we start talking about the how? When do we start talking about you telling me what to do when I go home? That's what, it's great. We've got a great foundation of grace in Jesus Christ. But tell me what to do. <laughs> tell me what to do when I go home. Give me a list. Show me how to be obedient. And I'm just going to be honest with you. The closest I'm going to get to that, guys, is, is using God's word to show you what are the tools that God has given us as his people to pursue him and be obedient to him. I genuinely believe, we talked about the Holy Spirit already, this idea that God has sent a helper. Remember that in John 14? I will give you a helper. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I'm going to send you a helper to help you obey. What, are there any other tools that God has given us as we engage in this idea of obedience to help us work towards obedience towards him? Again, not for salvation, not to gain approval, but out of a response are there any tools that he's given us? And, and uh, fortunately, the answer is yes. Otherwise, we wouldn't really have a talk tonight. Um, but uh, the question we're going to ask is, what are those tools? Um, what are those tools? And the reason we need to talk about this is I want to use, when they teach how to preach, they use this idea of what's called a fallen condition focus, a fancy, a fancy term for basically saying, hey, look, we need to all talk about what are things that every single one of us have in common that we, well, we show our fallenness with, we show our sin with. And how does that plug into where we're going? And what I wrote down for our fallen condition focus is this. When we read a passage like, let's say, James, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Remember last night we talked about how we cling to that idea of doing? We, 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 we hear a verse like that, and, and immediately we go through this process. We, we deceive ourselves into thinking, I'm hearing what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm hearing what I'm supposed to do. Right now, I'm thinking about what I'm supposed to do. And maybe for some of you, I'm, I'm writing down what I'm supposed to do. I'm journaling what I'm supposed to do. I'm even getting ex inspired. I'm getting excited. I'm getting pumped and excited about going home and doing what I'm supposed to do. But yet, over and over and over again, we walk out that door or this door or any door we walk out of, and we walk out unchanged. We walk out and we get excited and we hear and we listen and we focus and we get inspired and we just continue to hit that wall of why don't I see change in my life? 
Why don't I see something happen in my life? And one of the reasons I think that we don't actually start moving towards obedience towards Christ is because we don't recognize and see that we've been granted and given amazing tools to approach him in obedience with. We walk out the door and change, and here's why. Inspiration and excitement at a youth camp does not equal obedience. So we talk about the camp high, I've heard people talk about camp highs. And we all, we've all experienced to some degree this like spiritual high you get from you. Well, we want to know why, because inspiration and excitement and being pumped up about something doesn't always equal obedience. In fact, it hardly ever does. And, and, and the Lord said, and by the way, being excited and inspired are really good things. And the Lord works through excited and zealous, uh, inspired people. But when we go home and actually in our everyday lives of school, work, practice, friends, repeat, are we, are we going to be able to sustain that excitement and inspiration on our own? The Lord has given us tools to access obedience with. The way that I wrote it also is this. Another way of saying that what tools have God, has God given me is saying, how do I draw? Remember how we talked about the source of grace, the source of obedience being grace? How do I draw from that source? I heard some of you ask that question, actually. That's great. Our source is grace. But how do I actually draw from grace? What does that even mean? I believe the Lord has given us tools to draw from that grace. And we're going we're gonna to start that. We're going to access that by actually looking at a story. Early in Jesus' ministry, okay, early in Christ's ministry, actually before Christ's formal ministry, remember he gets baptized by, by John the Baptist. And in three of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, something happens to him in between his baptism when he actually starts doing what we see as his ministry. Is, you guys know what story I'm talking about? Some of you, some of you do. Anybody, who, who, who besides Rob can tell me what, what, is, what happens to Jesus right before he starts this formal ministry of his? Anybody know what happens? Give it a shot. Uh, he goes out to be, like, the days. Yes. And what happens to him while he's out there? He's tempted. He's tempted by who? By the devil. By the devil, by Satan. We haven't talked about him very much this week, and we're about to. Right before, and think about it, three of the Gospels, literally, you know how like a lot of your Bibles have little sections? In, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a section called Jesus Begins His Ministry. And literally, in every single one, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story right before that is the story of Jesus going out into the wilderness and, and a confrontation happens between him and Satan. Satan, in, in many ways, makes war upon Jesus. And we're going to look at that story right now. Not that. Here we go. Uh, in Matthew 4, we're going to look at the Matthew 4 version. The Mark 4 version is like this small. Uh, the Luke version is a little bit similar, but we're going to look at the Matthew version. So, so follow along with me in your, in your uh, Bibles if you want with Matthew 4. You can read along with me. Then Jesus, remember right before he started his earthly ministry, uh, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That would make sense. The tempter, and the tempter came and said to him, by the way, the tempter, this word, when you look at the Greek, when you look at different um, things about what was talked about here, uh, that, that this tempter is Satan, is the devil. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones, he's in, he's in the wilderness, there's rocks around, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What did Jesus say? Well, Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I'm going to pray really quickly before we dive into this. So let's do that. Lord, uh, we thank you for the story. We thank you that this is actually a story as, as human beings that we understand and, and see very vividly that, Lord, even though you say, Jesus, that you are eternal, that you are 100% God, that you have no beginning and you will have no end, 
you are God completely, Jesus, that you also humbled yourself and became 100% man. And in this mysterious way, Lord, in this story, you understood temptation, that you withstood temptations that we feel. You endured attacks by the enemy that wants to disrupt our disobedience. And Jesus, that, that allows us to, to draw near to you and say, you know, you understand, you, you have walked through this, this, these waters of sin the same way that we have, yet you never fell. Jesus, thank you for never falling to sin. And thank you for being a perfect sacrifice for us. Help us tonight to understand the tools you've given us to pursue you and obey you more. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so Satan has disrupted, Satan is attempting to disrupt the obedience of Jesus. Jesus is about to enter into his obedient ministry. But think about it. His father has sent him to earth to be a perfect, to be a perfect sacrifice, meaning a perfect life, perfect ministry, and perfect death. And here, before he begins, what happens? Satan tries to intervene immediately and question, if you see a lot of it to do with if you're the son of God, question his identity with God. Question his relationship with the Lord. Question whether he is God. And what is he doing? Satan is trying to disrupt the obedience that Jesus has. And I believe the reason this is important for us tonight, guys, is we talk about how our sin gets in the way of obedience, but we also need to be aware, as 1 Peter 5 says, uh, which is a very, very important passage. Remember, we think about spiritual warfare. 1 Peter 5 says that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour and destroy. That we have an enemy, we have Satan, who is desperate right now in this very moment, in this, this, very, this very conference this week, to intervene and disrupt any, any ideas we have about obedience. And in the story, Jesus has done this. And, and what we're going to look at, really, as far as tools of obedience, what did Jesus use in this story? What tools did Jesus use and depend upon to endure in his own obedience to his Father in this moment? Well, I, I could throw out to you a list of really cool, neat ideas, or here's how to obey Jesus more. But let's actually just go to Jesus and see the things that he leaned upon in his ministry to obey his Father. And let's draw from that. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. And the first part of this story that I want to look at is this, the stress of the Holy Spirit. So the very beginning of the story says this, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Jesus, later on it says, this is in Luke 4, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What does that tell us? Well, first it tells us this. We know this, this reality of the Trinity in Scripture, this idea that God... Um, God is in three persons, one God, and that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And somehow in a mystery that our human minds can't comprehend, that these three persons are, in fact, one true. We worship one God, not three. We worship one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see in this passage that in this mystery of the incarnation, Jesus depends upon, is led by, and filled with, in some mysterious way, himself in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling with Jesus, and in fact, it leads him, it fills him in this moment that we know is a moment of trial. And so this 100% God incarnated Jesus is emphasizing to us, is showing us dependence. Even though he's God, he's also 100% man. In the, in the moment of trial, he's depending upon the Spirit. He's depending on the Spirit to do what? Lead him. What does the Holy Spirit do? We can have a whole series on the Holy Spirit, guys, and I hate that I can't go into more detail on the Holy Spirit tonight, but we're going to show a few things the Holy Spirit does is it leads and it fills. It fills and it leads, and it shows us in moments of, 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 of temptation and distraction and confusion, it, it leads us and it shows us the proper path. It helps Christ in this hard time of of temptation. Remember we looked at John 14 when Jesus said, I'm going to send a helper? And in this moment, Jesus says, the helper will teach you, the helper will help to teach you about who God is, and it will help you to remember who the Lord is. So what do we know about the Holy Spirit? We know this, that you are not alone, but God himself dwells in you. Do you believe that? Are you nodding your head, amen, I've heard that before, that's great, cool. Or do you genuinely in your heart of hearts believe that right now, in this very moment, whether you want to recognize it or not, the presence of God is dwelling within you in 
the Holy Spirit as a helper who is open and available and, and moving in you to lead you, to teach you things that you have a hard time understanding, to help you remember the Lord in moments where it's easy to forget. That Holy Spirit is within you right now. And Jesus says, he desires to teach you. So for last night or the night before, if you came back to your small groups and said, I don't really get grace. I've heard about it, but I don't really understand it. Can I read a book about grace? That, should that be helpful? You know the first place we should turn as a tool for obedience? Turn in prayer to the Holy Spirit and, and say, Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit, please teach me what this idea of grace means. Please teach me. I don't understand. My mind's not grasping it. Holy Spirit, can you help me to understand grace? Can you help me to understand faith? Can you help me to understand who you are, God? You're so great. So in those moments that you're confused about spiritual matters, where do you turn? To a mentor? Good idea. Do you turn to a book? Another good idea. Do you turn to scripture? Another great idea. But do we turn to the presence of God within us and say, can you literally... Move throughout my mind to help me grasp things that I once was not able to grasp. He's also a helper that brings power when, when we feel like we don't have it. We talked about our powerlessness to obey. Well, guess what? We talked about this last night. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God is within you to help us and enable you to obey in ways which before, remember that passage we talked about of you are dead in your transgressions? One of the reasons that we're alive now is because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, because now we're united in him, but also because we had the presence of God in us to enable us to do things that we once were not able to. And so in these moments of temptation, and you guys know, think about everyone right now in your minds. Think about the, mo- the temptations in your life that you know you fall to over and over It might be something that happens on the weekend often. It might be a thing that you do with your social group of friends at school. It might be something that you do all alone in your room, in your own mind, in your own thoughts. I don't know what it is for you, but what is that temptation that you know you are almost powerless against? In those moments, the Lord promises you may pray to the helper that I have sent and the Holy Spirit, and he will help you. He will bring the power of the Lord to help you overcome temptation that, that... in your sinful state by yourself, you would not be able to overcome. The Holy Spirit is with you, is your advocate. It understands, Jesus Christ understands your temptations and has sent the Spirit to help enable you to overcome these temptations. Do we even recognize and see that? The Spirit of God, as I wrote it, is not contained to a temple, but is in you. The grace, love, and power of God is within us and present with us. And my question for you tonight is this. As we seek to repent of our sin and obedience, do we ever acknowledge or even remember that the Holy Spirit is within us? Do we ever even pay mind to the fact that if I believe the Bible, I believe the power of the Lord is within me in the Holy Spirit, and I can draw upon him, and I can call upon him, and I can seek him and ask him anything I want, and I know that he will listen. Do we ever acknowledge it? Or do we approach our sin and our obedience like this? i got this bad stuff in my life. I need to work on this and work on that and pull that out and really, really pull on that one and get that out. And maybe one day, maybe one day, I'll have all the sin gone. Is that a way of getting sin out of our lives? We act like it is, but it's not. Think of it this way. Um, yeah, I'll put this over here. There we go. Um, this, is a, this is an empty cup, empty cup. There's air in this cup, right? Does anybody think that there's not air in this cup? There's air in this cup, right? Okay, good. Um, there's air in the, How do I get the air out of this cup? Vacuum. A vacuum potentially could get a, a, a air out of this cup. If I had a vacuum right now, but that would get all the air. So you know, I took the vacuum away, the air would probably come back. So, so, and I heard somebody just say this. One way I can get the air, I wouldn't get the air out of this cup is if I do this. Now, some of you right now, some of you nerds are like, there's H2O and there's oxygen in water. <laughs> true. You got an A in science, you smarty pants. Uh, It's true. The reason I do this, it's a silly illustration, but it's true. I believe that with our sin and in our seeking obedience, our first step out of the gate sometimes, if I want to be obedient, I got to get this out of my life and this out of my life, and oh man, I just got to work on all these things inside of me and get them out. And we never recognize that The Lord has said, I have filled you. I have filled you with the Holy Spirit. And when we call upon and recognize and know and seek out the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our presence and our bodies, 
The Holy Spirit fills us. And when the Holy Spirit fills us and we're calling upon him and seeking him and praying and saying, help me, he fills us and fills us even more. And when, that, when the Holy Spirit fills us, sin doesn't have any room to stay. But when we ignore, and as, as Scripture says, as we grieve, the word that Scripture uses is grieve the Holy Spirit. When we hear the Holy Spirit calling and we ignore it and grieve it, we find that, in fact, the, the sin just stays there. We can't pull it out on our own. We need to be filled with something outside of ourselves. And the Lord has sent his helper, the Holy Spirit, to fill us and to replace, in many ways, the sinful selves that we have. Other ways, and we talk about, we're about to move on, but other ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. How do we engage the Spirit? We'll pray. When we pray, pray and ask the Lord, help your Spirit. Spirit, please help me in these areas. Lord, I'm struggling with gossip. Lord, I'm struggling with laziness. Lord, I'm struggling with a desire to, to engage your Word. Or, by the way, guys, the Holy Spirit can help with anything in your life. Lord, I'm struggling with my relationship with my parents. Right now, I just don't like them. I treat them like I hate them. Lord, right now I'm struggling with anxiety over my grades, and it's, and it's distracting me. It's filling me up. Lord, I need your help right now to help me with these things. Lord, uh, I have plans this weekend, and I have various plans, and I want to make the right decision about what I should do. Can you help guide me? And all of these big, huge, medium, small things, the Holy Spirit is within us saying, I want to help teach you, show you, lead you, give, grant you wisdom, grant you uh, direction in, in your decision making and in who you are. I want to fill you. But we oftentimes grieve it and rely upon ourselves and lead the Holy Spirit there. And not only does it help us with, with obedience, I was talking with Paul about this earlier. Paul had a great, and it also helps us deal with our disobedience. Lord, I'm dealing with shame and guilt, and I don't even want to go to church or youth group or anywhere right now because I just feel so crappy about my sin. You know what we should do? We should get on our knees and say, Spirit, help me to deal Literally help my emotions and my heart deal with this, with this sin right now and this shame so that I had the confidence in the gospel to go back to where I need to be. We can help. The Holy Spirit helps us deal with our disobedience. And as we sang earlier, the Holy Spirit seals, seals divine mercy in our hearts. When we are unconvinced of the grace and mercy that God has for us, because we're broken and fallen people. You know who seals that in our minds and hearts? The Holy Spirit has come to seal, to give us confidence that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit is a significant, important, powerful tool that God has given us to seek out obedience. What else has God given us as a, as a tool to pursue and engage Him in obedience? Prayer. Uh, it says in this, in this passage, that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. When you look biblically, historically, uh, in, in, in the history of the church uh, and God's people, fasting is very often linked to prayer. When we fast from something, whether it's food or another, another thing, when someone fasts, they fast to, to, for many reasons. One of the reasons is to help them to focus, put out distraction, and focus upon the presence of the Lord to engage the Lord. And so when, when, when we see that Jesus has fasted, we see and understand that he's up there praying. He's praying to his Father. He's communicating. He's speaking. He's talking to his Father. So another tool that Jesus shows in pursuing obedience is prayer. Jesus describes fasting. This is really cool. Jesus describes fasting in, in Scripture often as, as removing yourself away and alone and fast in private. And he, he also at one moment says that in prayer, not every prayer that we ever pray, but it's helpful in prayer to remove ourselves, close our doors, go to our rooms, and to pray in private to the God who hears us. And in this moment, we see that Jesus has removed himself and is depending, is seeking. He knows he's about to endure a, 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 a whole ministry of perfect obedience ahead of him. And to do that, what does he do? Does he say, oh, I've got my Jesus powers? No, he, he goes to the wilderness and he seeks his father. Je We're talking about Jesus here. He, he bows before his father and he prays. He seeks him out. He, we don't know exactly what he was praying. I can't tell you what he was praying. But it would make perfect sense, especially if you look at what Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was relying on, he was running to his father, communicating, that I'm about to go into this war of obedience. Lord, help me. In Gethsemane, as on the story before Christ uh, was, was betrayed and arrested and crucified, he, where did he go? He went to this garden called Gethsemane by himself. He brought some apostles with him and put them close to him. But he prayed by himself 
to the Father. Now, one of the things I love about that story is he does, he does two things alone. First, he does this. And this is, this is teaching us how to pray. First, this. He, he takes his wants and desires and needs, and he asks the Father about those things. Do you guys remember that part in that prayer? Was If it's possible, would you please remove this cup from me? Think about it. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about. This is the perfect Son of God. And in this moment before his death and resurrection, before this happens, he says to his father, he pleads, we know Jesus is sweating blood in fear in the garden. We think of this superhero Jesus, because the way he's portrayed often, he is humble on his knees, sweating blood and tears, seeking his father in fear, saying, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He's petitioning his father, saying, please, this is my desire. It's how he prays. But you know what he says right after that? He says, not my will, but your will be done. In this moment of difficulty and frustration, Jesus asks the Father, but then he depends upon the Father. He asks the Father, gives him his petitions, but then he depends upon the Father. And as we battle for obedience, we struggle with shame, we struggle with fear, we struggle with inability and when, when, when the Lord has given us prayer, he's given us this tool to say, Lord, this is where I'm at right now. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I feel like I need. But I also want to depend on you and say, not my will, but your will be done. And Lord, I want your will to be helping me make me more obedient. Prayer is a tool of dependence upon God for our obedience. Dependence and obedience are like this. And prayer is a tool for us to lie before the Father and say, help me be more obedient. Here's what I'm struggling with. And he hears us and he listens to us with grace. As we seek the Father, this is the way I wrote it, we can, in prayer, communicate our needs, communicate our struggles, ask him things, and also be, this is amazing, be enabled and changed to act. When we see prayer in the Bible, we see people that pray and things happen. We believe as Christians that when His people humbly pray and seek his face and turn away from our wicked ways. God hears us and acts. Christians, do you believe that in the seeking of obedience in your life, that when you pray, God hears you and does something about it and empowers you with his Holy Spirit? If we, if you, if I believed that, I would pray a whole lot more than I than I already do. But why do I struggle personally in prayer and praying consistently? I struggle to believe that the Lord consistently hears me and acts and changes and makes and gives me things, enables me in ways that I need and desire. Do we pray for obedience? Do we pray through our temptations? Do you pray through your doubt? You can pray about anything. Are you having a doubt about something you've heard this week? Don't just sit here and and, and complain about it. Pray about it. Seek the Lord of that doubt. Your needs. What what does it mean to pray? It it means that we bow before the Lord and we ask and we give him our needs. We say, please hear me. How do you do that practically? What does it mean? Well, guess what? If you just go home and say, well, I heard about prayer. I hope to pray more. It's probably not going to happen. Practically, what is prayer? It's time to remove yourself, get your phone out of your way, and say, Lord, I desire to communicate with you, not with my best friend through text message, not through my girlfriend through a phone or an iChat, whatever, not through anything else in, in the world. I want to sit down and zone out everything else, and I want to communicate with you, and I know that you hear me. How do you do that? I know it sounds boring, guys. You've got to plan a time to pray. Just like anything else in your life, uh, and this is going to sound so boring and unsexy or whatever, I don't care, but in a, I have a schedule. I, I use Google Calendar, and I have a block of time that I schedule every day. Now, here's the thing. I don't know spiritual tone. I don't, I don't meet this time every day. I, I often fail to meet this time. But I know that in order to be able to be a consistent prayer, somebody who is depending upon the Lord, I can't just count on my own spirituality of being a good prayer. Oh, I'll just, I want to pray, so I'll just pray at some point today. Sometimes that happens, but I, I for myself, I've got to plan a time to sit down and pray. Now, for some of you, that sucks away the joy for I'm not saying that's for everybody, but I know for me, something that has helped is 
is saying, Lord, I care so much about getting time with you. I want to plan it. My wife's an engineer, and I'm the kind of guy that's like, we're going to have a date night this week. Oh, cool. It'll happen at some point. You know, that's me. My wife's the one who's like on Sunday night, like, no, no, no. When are we having our date night? When is this started? We're going to do this. And I love that about her. Because why does she do that? Why does she want to schedule a date night? Because it's important to her. She wants to make sure it happens. Do do we care about and understand that we need prayer so much as a tool to access obedience that we're willing to sit down every week instead of just scheduling out our homework time or our, our practice time with our school or our musical instrument or whatever we play? Or, oh, my Friday night, I'm going to book that with my friends. Do we ever sit down and say, I want to schedule time to be with the Lord? Prayer, it's an important important way to engage uh, obedience. A couple more, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap up. Another thing that Christ uses in this story, if you notice everything that Jesus, everything that Satan said to Jesus, do you know how Jesus responded? Do you know what he reacted with? He said, it is written. Jesus, Satan said something else. Jesus said, again, it is written. Satan says something else. Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Jesus Christ himself, in this moment of temptation, this moment of attack, you know what Jesus Christ himself is turning to? Again, not to, remember, I'm Jesus. No, he says, I'm going to turn to Scripture to help fight you. I need to look at the Word of God in order to engage you. Jesus sets before us an example of what it means to seek obedience. And and it's, it's the Holy Spirit's prayer, and it's seeking out God's Word. Because he knows that God's word, when when Satan is throwing lies at Jesus, Jesus turns to what he knows is perfect truth, and that is God's word. And he uses God's word as a shield against the lies that are coming at him from Satan. And he's using it as a way to establish truth in his own person. As Jesus combats temptation in the journey of obedience, he doesn't, resp- he doesn't like start throwing out Jesus' wisdom bombs, right? You know, we, don't, we don't see that. Everything that Jesus says, he's drawing from the holy, perfect word of God. He quotes scripture, and he uses the word of God to fight. What's my application for you? Are you struck down with sin this week? Are you remembering and bringing up sin addictions that you have? When you go home, do I have a cool list of ways to get over pornography when you go home? No, I don't. But I can say, seek out the word of God. And use that as a sword and a shield to cling to in truth as whatever addiction that is hounding you. Use the word of God because that is truth in the face of lies. But often, because we're deceived on what obedience is, our Bibles sit and collect dust. You want to know why? Because we've reduced Bible reading to this 10-minute checkmark quiet time that I have to have to be a good Christian. And as long as I read my six verses out of Leviticus this morning, even if I don't pay attention to one thing that they mean, I've had my quiet time, and I can submit that up to God and feel good about myself as a Christian. And you know what that is? That's stealing away from us seeing the Holy Word of God as a sword and a shield against the lies of Satan. It's a tool waiting to be used as we pursue obedience, and we use it as a check mark to make ourselves feel better as Christians. Guys, the Word of God is powerful, and the Word of God is strong. Do we see it as that? How do I know that? Well, believe it or not, Scripture says that about itself. Uh, and I'm going to turn right now, if you could just give me just one moment. I'm going to turn to how Scripture says and explains itself. Hebrews 4.12 says this. The Word of God, stop right there. Most of us think the Word of God is this leather-bound thing that I open up on Sundays or maybe a Bible study I go to throughout the week. And it's this neat thing I should memorize every so often, and I should check off my 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 list, my, my quiet time list. Okay, that's what most of us in our back of our minds actually think about this word of God. What does the word of God say about the word of God? The word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4.12, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. How thick and vivid is that? The, this word of God literally drives through you and, and intercepts every fiber of your being. Yet it sits and collects dust on our end tables because we want to play modern warfare more. Because we want to watch Netflix for six hours more. It 
pierces the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what also disrupts our obedience? Our own thoughts and intentions get confused in sin. And you know what discerns it and turns it? Is the word of God, because it pierces to us. You guys know those moments in your life when sometimes reading the Bible seems dry. And yeah, there's moments where reading the Bible seems dry, and everyone experiences that. But we know these moments when we read scripture in a small group or on our own, and we just think, wow! That just filled me up. That struck me, convicted me. I want to change because of what I just read. You want to know why? Because this is living and active, and it pierces the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It's a tool. It's an amazing, incredible tool. And when we consistently familiarize, this is how I want to, I want to ap- apply this, when we consistently and daily familiarize ourselves with what this means. What does that mean? It means, yes, memorizing scripture. It, it means, yes, being in this every day. It means, yes, knowing what the gospel of John is saying. It means, yes, knowing what the prophet Isaiah talks about. It means, yes, knowing a little bit about what Revelation is doing. It means, yes, knowing why the stories in Genesis matter. Familiarizing ourselves and studying this word with God's, we familiarize him with his word, his, his holiness. We see who Jesus is. We learn about him more. And grace. And here's the thing. Because of what Christ was doing in the story, we're reminded of what is true and what is false. So when you're caught up in disobedience and sin and sin addictions and you feel terrible and you can't go to church and you're like, I don't know what's up and down. I heard this guy talk about how God's not real and I'm confused by that. And this sin is so heavy and it doesn't, grace doesn't seem real. Those are lies that we need to have truth intercept. And this word, this tool, brings truth where lies attack us. A really great writer put it this way. A Christian who has David in his bones, Jeremiah in his bloodstream, Paul in his fingertips, and Christ in his heart will know how much and how little value to put on his own momentary feelings and the experience of last week. In other words, in our daily lives, when we're comparing ourselves and feeling, I'm a sinner, I don't even know if I'm a Christian, I have doubts, so I don't even know if I'm saved, I just, this, this sin makes me worse than everybody else, I can't go to church, I can't do this, man, why am I even at YXL? I'm not a leader, what is going on? But the Christian who is familiarized and soaked in Scripture knows that how you feel about something in any momentary moment isn't necessarily true, but this is. And that is that no matter who you are and what you've done and how deep down the rabbit hole pit of sin you've gone, Jesus Christ has died for your sin and you are a beloved and united, cherished, treasure child of God. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Who is called to obedience. Not a perfect obedience, because only Jesus Christ has done that. We're going to look at that in two nights. But still an obedience, nonetheless. Application. For many of you, you've had a moment like this. This is where lies come in. I just got home from YXL, and it was a great week. I feel so filled up. But somehow, the moment I came home, I got caught into the same cycle of staring at myself in the mirror and worried about how skinny I am or what my legs look like, or how big my boobs are, or what boys think of my body. And I am gripped by the evil of body image lies about who I am. And now instead of soaking in the source of grace, even an hour from getting home from YXL or my youth group, I am back into this lie of my body and what people think of me. Or some of us come home from a youth group or a Bible study and we're filled up and then two hours later we're sitting there alone in our room looking at pornography on the computer and we feel like absolute garbage. And we're, told, we're telling ourselves over and over again, I am sick and I am twisted and I am wrong and I am not worthy of even thinking about any of these things ever again. Those are the broken moments, Christians and sinners, that we need the word of God to remind you of who you are. You are not an enemy of God. You are not so sinful that he has overlooked you or forgotten you or thrown you away. But his holy word of God says that you are beloved. And I'm I'm saying that from my heart and experience just as much as any of the rest of you. You know what? I have beloved tattooed on my freaking arm. You want to know why? Because I need to hear it every day. Because I have lies that tell me that no, I'm not beloved. You are a sinner, Tony. The word of God is a tool. 
in obedience of saying, I will fight off those lies and I will continue to obey the God that I know that, who loves me and I will do it using his word, not my own efforts and not my own power. Last, last few things. Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm going, but this, this is important stuff. One of the last tools that we're going to look at tonight is fellowship. The idea of community, the idea of people. God has given us this thing called the church. And guess what? The church is not this building that we go to on Sunday mornings to do these Christian rituals. The church is the living representation of Christ on our world. And it is a group of people that have been designated and called out to love him and live for him. The point that I want to make with this idea of fellowship, we're going to look at this, this, what happened to Christ in this moment. After all these, these, these temptations come from Satan, you know what, what happened to Jesus? You think, I'm Jesus. I endured this temptation. Great. I will move on to my thing because I'm Jesus. I'm pow-. You know what he actually does? The angels show up. Angels show up and minister to him. Jesus has just been through an ordeal of temptation and using every tool that his father has given him. Prayer and I'm throwing scripture at you and the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's broken in this moment. He's endured temptation. And angel, the father sends down angels to minister to him. He, he needs fellowship. He needs other beings. He needs his angelic beings in heaven to minister to him in this moment. And you know what? Every day we will be beaten down by sin. We will be struggling with disobedience. And we will be beaten down if we don't have the church. If we don't have people, other Christians surrounding us, helping us, ministering to us in this battle for obedience. Even Jesus' enduring trial was ministered by angels. Without the fellowship and support of others obedience, it really is impossible. We think of Christian, we can think of Christianity, we think of faith as this me and God thing all the time of this, well, I've prayed this prayer and now I have this personal relationship with Jesus, which is true, but we turn this personal relationship into Jesus thing, and it's me and Jesus. When things are going bad, Jesus probably feels bad about me. When things are going good, Jesus feels great about me. That's works righteousness. And, and the reality is, no, J- Jesus has a relationship with the church. We are, we are a body. We are a people together engaging and interacting with, with the Lord. And, and the reality is, like many heroes that we like to, to read about and worship, we still love to go at it on our own. I, I threw this up there. Um, here are a lot of popular heroes that we look at in a lot of our stories. And every single one of these heroes, Luke Skywalker, Frodo Baggins, we have Katniss over here, and Harry Potter. And all these stories, they endure one moment where they had to go at it alone. Right? They had that hero moment. You could even, for some of you, even know that moment. You know the line in the movie or whatever. Like, no, I have to do this alone, Sam. You know, we have these moments where, where that's the one that I remember. Where it's like, I am this solo hero, like, all on it on my own. I got to put it on my back. But you know what's cool about these stories? Is almost every single one to a T, at some point, the hero realizes, I need other people. I mean, Harry Potter figures out he really needs Ron and Hermione. Right? Luke Skywalker's got Han Solo and the walking carpet Chewbacca, right? Um, Frodo Baggins needs, I mean, literally the movie's called The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Um, he needs people. Katniss realizes that she needs allies as she battles this, uh, this, this reality of, um, what's the, the capital? There it is. Um, and so, and so these, these heroes realize, try to go at it on their own, but they realize, I cannot do this on my own. I need others. Guys, if we want to go home and really think about obedience, a list isn't going to help you. You know what's going to help you? The people sitting right next to you. Go home and be a part of your church. Not just your Sunday school classes on Sunday morning, that's how your church does things. Be in worship with young children, people your age, older folks. Get to know them. Engage your church. Get involved with volunteering in your church. Come alongside. Find accountability. If you're struggling with sin, find a close friend, a close guy friend, a close girlfriend that can sit down with you and talk with you week in and week in about your sin. Be sharing your sin with other people. Be sharing your disobedience with people. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, go to your pastor. Go to your youth leader. Some of you have youth leaders in this room right now that would be dying for you to come to them and say, can I just talk to you about stuff in my life that I haven't told anybody? They would literally do jumping jacks and then sit back down and say, yes. Okay. <laughs> they, we, we need people.
people. Guys, one of the most, I, I've been doing youth ministry for, for 10 plus years now. And I, I say this to my college students especially all the time, but also to my high school students. Guys, I can't stress this enough. Find a mentor in your life. Find and seek out an older mentor. You want to get a list, here's one of the things to throw on the list. Find a mentor in your life who's older than you, that has experienced more than you, that has been through the phase of life that you're living in right now, and, and ask that mentor, can I meet with you once a week, once a month? Can I check in with you here and there? Can you ask me these hard questions about myself? Can you talk with me about my doubts about Christianity? Can you, can you sit down and, and, and show me how to read the Bible more? And guys, if you go to people that, that are in the church for that, they're not going to be like, that was awkward. Why did they ask me to be a mentor? They're here to be a mentor for you. There, there's, there's adult leaders that are dying to meet with you and want to walk with you in these things. Find fellowship. Find, um, find, find Frodo. No, find, <laughs> find that ministering spirit that, that Jesus had in the age. Find people to support you. That's, that's why youth groups are important. Church is important. Camps like this are important to find that reminder of I'm, I'm in a body of Christ that's here to support me. When I break down and fall, someone else is here to lift me up and vice versa. Find a mentor, find an accountability partner, join a small group Bible study. Um, it's great ways to engage, be, become members of your church and jump into your church. Don't complain about your church. Jump into your church and say, I want to be a part of making this church great. It's part of what fellowship means. I just added these at the end because there's a few other ones popped in my head. I'm, I'm not going to just go into length on these, but a few other, other things to think about with ways to Ways to, be, to, to, to seek our source and grace. Ways, tools that God has given us to, to, uh, uh, to be obedient. The Lord's Supper, guys. Me and Paul had a long conversation about the Lord's Supper earlier. And it, there, there's just some Sundays, guys, where we need to be reminded of grace in such a visible and physical way. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a source. It's a reminder. It's a, it's, it's a spiritual nourishment, as Westminster Confession calls it. A spiritual nourishment in that moment of grace. And the Lord's Supper is an amazing tool for obedience to remind us what Christ has done for us. Guys, worship, singing. I, my wife, I keep bringing my wife up. It's because she's awesome. But my wife, my wife, if you look at the Myers-Briggs things we've been looking at, is, is an INTJ. Is that right, sweetheart, INTJ? ISTJ, close it up. I-N-I-S-T-J. Um, what that means is that, that she's more of a thinker than a feeler. What it means is that she's more logical. She, her, 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 her love language is spreadsheets and like Excel spreadsheets. Um, but you know, you know what my wife has shared with me? I hope she's okay. I didn't ask her. Sorry. Um, you, know, you know what she talks about really moves her and really reminds her of the presence of God is when she's in church and she's singing. She, I mean, she shared this with me the other night. When, when she sings, oftentimes tears come to her eyes, and I've seen it. And I'm the guy who's like, why are you crying? We'll sing. But it's, it's because the presence of God has filled her in that moment. The, 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 the reality of grace has filled her when she sings. She feels like she's reconnecting to this reality of grace and obedience, and, and, she's, and it overcomes her. It overwhelms her. And worship is a wonderful way of, of raising our arms. Yes, your PCA, you can still do that. Raising your arms. Raising your arms and saying, yes. God, you are who I love. You are who I seek to obey. Worship is a great tool for obedience. And finally, retreat in solitude. We're almost done. If you're getting out, we're almost done. Retreat in solitude. What you're doing right now, breaking away from the busyness of our world and saying, you know what, I have a day off, and every, every couple of months, I try to make a day off where I just take my Bible and my journal, and I go find a quiet place all day. And I don't look at ESPN Sports Center. I don't take my, web, my phone with me. I don't look at websites. I just try to find a coffee shop or a place in the woods somewhere and try to be quiet and alone with all of these tools that God has given me in word and prayer. And I try to get away. The way that we've done this is calling quiet time. I don't always like the term quiet time. I think it's a, it's a fine term, but sometimes quiet time just means that, that again, that 10-minute kind of session with God I've got to do. Once I check it off, I've done my Christian duty for the day. But God does call us to quiet, retreat, solitude, to be reminded of who he is and, and, and think about and push away the distractions. So retreats like this are wonderful, wonderful tools that we've had to, to remain on the path of obedience. Daily, quiet, solitude of the Lord is a wonderful way to engage the Lord on a tool uh, for obedience. Being out in nature, guys. Sometimes I'm out in nature, look at the mountains, and I'm like, man, God is awesome. I want to obey the God that shaped that mountain. Um, being out in nature and in quiet and retreat is an amazing, is an amazing thing. In conclusion, 
Um, here, here's just a story I'm going to share, actually, um, and this is going to be it. Uh, my, my freshman year in college, I went to a Christian, a small Christian college. Um, this is a short story, and I'll pray and we'll be done. Um, I went to a small, a small Christian college named Greenville. It's in Illinois. Illinois is a boring place. Um, but I thought graduating high school that I was, I was, I knew I wanted to probably go into ministry, and I knew I wanted to, to be this this youth pastor kind of guy. And so I wanted, I chose a small Christian school, even though my instinct said, "Hey, go to a go to a big state school." I thought I need to go to a small Christian school. And that that year of school uh, at Greenville was one of the hardest, most disobedient years of my life. I was at this Christian school. It was small. And there were all these wonderful people there. And, and Jars of Clay went there. You guys know what Jars of Clay is, right? Dude, okay. Jars of Clay went there. It was like a spiritual place of growth. And I was going to be this awesome, like, Christian growing leader at Greenville. And, and, and for whatever reason, all these little things that I thought were going to help me be this obedient Christian in Greenville, these classes, these professors, the fact that it was a Christian school, which meant nothing, actually, but all of these things... We're going to make me a better Christian. And actually, again, it was the most rebellious, one of the most rebellious years of my life. I, I never went to church that year. I didn't care at all about my studies. I uh, literally, my first semester, I got a 1.89 GPA. Uh, I was on academic probation my second semester. Um, I, I really didn't, uh, I, I didn't engage with other people well. A lot of the same mistakes I made early in high school and middle school that came back into my life, sort of living out those sins again. I started really doubting my faith, and I struggled. I struggled with faith uh, and all these questions about, about faith and Christianity, and I didn't even know if I believed in this God, and I thought Christians were annoying, and I wanted to do nothing with them. And I guess I was a really angry, frustrated, shameful, and a lot of sin and shame in that, that year. And, and here's what brought me out of it. Um, I had... I had two people, a guy named Paul Spielberg, who was my roommate, one of my closest friends, and a guy named Russ Ramsey, who was kind of a mentor figure back in St. Louis. And I remember one particular shameful moment. I was so angry, and I was just kind of venting, and I started crying. And my friend Paul, who was a goofball, I mean, Paul wasn't like this mature Christian man, but I remember Paul, I remember this vividly. He just came up to me and put his hand on my back and said, can I pray for you? Uh, and Paul, as a freshman in college, he just he prayed for me. He just prayed for my life. He prayed for my anxiety to to, to to slow down. And later that week, I had all these questions and issues the second semester, and I emailed my, my mentor, Russ Ramsey, uh, and I said, Russ, what, what do I do? How do I resolve these issues? And, and he sent me back this long message. We didn't have Facebook at the time, so it was an email. It was this long email of all these scripture passages. He goes, I want you to soak yourself in these passages for long periods of time. Uh, and, he, and he directed me to scripture. Um, and then, believe it or not, at the end of that year, uh, a lot of things turned in my life, and I transferred out of Greenville. I, I transferred to the University of Missouri, Mizzou, go Tigers. Uh, and it's this big, like, this big public university party. And I, I grew more as a Christian that sophomore, junior, and senior year than any other year of my life. Now, I, by the way, I'm not giving a pitch to go to public university, right? Scott, Scott Schindler's back, like, cut it out, you know. Um, but um, the reason I tell that story, guys, is when I was dive-bombing spiritually in my life, and really in every essence of my life, um, there wasn't some new, radical, flashy thing that people gave me to, 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 to work my way out of that. You know, you know what the fellowship, the church, people that knew me and loved me directed me towards? It was to prayer, and it was to scripture. And as boring as that sounds to some of you guys, they're the most powerful tools that you have that, that overcome any cool, neat, trendy-sounding list that I could give you. Is, is the idea of, of the people of God surrounding one another and pointing one another to, to God's word and to prayer and to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and as we begin getting more practical in this series, that's, that's what I'm going to keep going back to you, uh, is, is look at those tools. Uh, and if you want to sit down and talk with, how do I begin to read my Bible better? How do, how do I pray? I don't know how to pray. How do I pray well? How do I pray more? How do I engage in this Holy Spirit? We talked about it a little bit tonight. How do I do that well? Talk to your leaders. Talk to your cabin leaders. Talk to your youth group leaders. Come talk to me and say, hey, how do you go about this? And I won't give you great ideas because I struggle in those things as well. But I can at least give you some things I've learned over time of how to engage those things well. And we would love to talk with you about that. Many of us would love to talk with you about that. So let's pray. I'm way over. Um, let's pray. And, uh, and uh, we, we may worship. Are we going to worship at all? Well, maybe. We'll see. Uh, so let's pray.
Lord, uh, thank you for the tools that you've given us to, to pursue you in obedience. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, thank you um, for the gift of prayer that we have to, to engage you and to seek out that source of grace. When we feel grace is drying up in our lives, we don't know where to find it. Help us not to look at the newest, trendiest thing that Christianity has to offer, but help us to go back to what you, God, have given us, and that's your word, that's your spirit, and that is, and that is engaging you with prayer. Help us talk about that tonight well in our small groups. Help us to, to think about those things in a way that's clear and helpful and practical. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.